Welcome to the Source Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Royston. Here on this podcast, we get to talk about the spiritual life. We get to get underneath, get beyond uh, the surface and get into deeper meaning. We get into, you know, different views on faith and different ways to walk the path. And this season has been shaping up to be an interview season or a conversations with season. And I hope you've enjoyed the conversation with Barbara DeRubin, the conversation with Jaguar Spirit Cora. If you haven't listened to those and you're just jumping in, today's episode is a conversation with Chase Boyle. Um, as a singer, he's known as Chase Snow, his middle name. And he grew up in the Mormon faith and has walked many paths since then. And my conversation with him was very intimate and very honest and very um, dynamic. So what I thought he did really well was, well, I'll, I'll let you listen to it, but what I, I really liked is that he conveyed the complexity of a spiritual life, trying to have a spiritual part to this life. Uh, I hope you enjoy. I'd like to start a new tradition with every episode right before we get in to the topic, right before we meet our guest, if we're having a guest, I'd like us all to just stop and take a few deep breaths together. So if you're ready, let's begin. Inhale. And exhale. In and out. Last one. All right. Thank you. Chase, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast. Thanks for joining us here at Source Wheel. And here, my listeners know that we dive into and underneath the surface and we talk about the spiritual world. And I've invited you to be on my podcast because not only are you a friend, but you are someone with a rich spiritual history and it's different than my own. So I look forward to our shared space today. Thanks for being here. Chip, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. It's, a, it's an honor to be a guest on the podcast. And I'm a friend, I'm a fan, a follower. So to be here is uh, really cool. All right. So let's see. I'm going to kick it off with asking you to deepen kind of what I've already hinted at is that our backgrounds are different. I mm-hmm. was raised in a Methodist church with a mother who really in the process of raising us started getting closer to her faith leading to becoming a Methodist minister 
by the time mm. I graduated high school. Um, what was your upbringing? Yeah, I was, I was raised in the Church of Latter-day Saints. Um, it's called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, often referred to as the Mormons, Mormonism. Um, also short, LDS, part yeah. of the LDS faith. Uh, so goes by many names. Um, um, and I was raised since I, since I was born in that church and I, I was, you know, active in that church up until probably my early twenties. And around that time, I kind of took some different paths in my spirituality and my, in my religion. I want to come back to those different paths and the, and the, and the circumstances that led to that. Sure. But I also want to, I want to capture the sweetness. I know that for my early faith, my early spirituality was very sweet, very pure, very untainted. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd wonder if you could give us a sense of what, you know, attending the services were like for you. What were your favorite parts? Who did you look up to the most? Um, what did you learn from them? Oh my gosh, I have so many questions. Anything you can share about, you know, little Chase's experiences coming closer to spirituality? Yeah, sure. No, all, all really great questions. Well, the first thing that came up for me when you asked that was, um, <clears throat> you know, in the LDS faith, <clears throat> LDS members are baptized when they turn eight years old. Oh. And so this is the age when you can choose to, to uh, become baptized into the church. And uh, during this time, you often get lessons, kind of these spiritual teachings by missionaries. So when I was eight years old, I had these two missionaries come over to my house and they were probably in their, but they were probably 20 or maybe 21 years old. Um, and you know, to me, when I was eight, they were like stars, they were superstars Mm. when they would come over, they would have their, their Sunday best on and they were really nice and they were cool. And I just would listen to every single word that they would say. So they would teach me these lessons Um, and I used to skateboard as a kid and one of them also skateboarded. So he would take me into the front yard and we would do kick flips and ollies. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this, this spiritual guru is coming over skateboarding with me, teaching me about God and the Holy spirit. And it was like, they were my role models for that time. Wow. Yeah. So, so it was, it was really nice kind of having these, you know, I would say they were you know, kind of positive male role models, but spiritual role models as well. Um, and then not long after that, um, I was baptized. And what is that immersion? Is that just a dab of water? What is that like? Yep. It's, it's immersion. So it's kind of in a, I guess I would describe it as a, a large bathtub. They call it the baptismal font. And um, there's usually one of these in the church buildings. Um, but you can also get baptized out in nature. Um, I had some friends who served their mission, which is probably something we'll talk about, um, in some tropical places, Hawaii. And, and so if you want to get baptized in the ocean or something like that, that's also something that you can do. That would be my choice. Yeah, and it's full immersion. So you, you're, you're sort of being held by the person who is baptizing you. And, um, you know, they, they kind of uh, say this kind of ritual um, you know, kind of a short passage. Um, and then they baptize you and they dunk you all the way underwater and lift you up and the ceremony is complete. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's when, a real, it's a real special time. In a, yeah. When, you in know, I felt, life. 
I felt something stirring in me, some emotions stirring in me when you said that the person is holding you mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. That just feels so sacred. That's that relationship of being held. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously yeah, you the... chose that. I did. I did. Yeah. Yep. And I was baptized by my uncle. Oh, okay. And so that was a kind of a neat thing for my family to be there and have a family member um, um, do that for me. Yeah. 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 So I guess, you know, a couple other things that came up for me was I remember being very young and getting ready for church on Sunday morning and waking up early, putting on my slacks, my white, my white shirt, my tie, and we would walk into the, the church building. And, and I, I grew up in Southern Utah. Utah is kind of a Mecca for Mormonism. Um, sure many, is. many, many members here don't, you know, this is the LDS faith is definitely the dominant, dominant religion in Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of the churches, they kind of look alike. So you can kind of tell what church is a Mormon church and what is not. And um, when you walk into these churches, they, I don't know if this is just me, (laughs) but I feel like they have the same smell. (laughs) They smell the same and it's kind of this warm, kind of homey, cozy like smell. And there's something that is very kind of just relaxing about that smell because you know you're entering a a, a, a place of worship the kind of a holy sacred place and there's a lot of you know just a lot of kindness and a lot of welcoming people in the in the LDS faith and and so you know even now when I walk into a church building I smell that smell and it just takes me right back mm. you know it takes me right back to those those times where I was more active in the church and um, you know, I would just see smiling faces and neighbors that I knew and definitely a, definitely a, a place of belonging. I was definitely one with the tribe, you could say. Wow. I, I want to make sure that we're clear for our audience members mm-hmm. that we're, we're not, I'm not asking you here to represent the Mormon faith. I'm asking you to represent your experience. Um, so i I know that my audience members might not know and might find themselves super curious about uh, the LDS church. And um, I think maybe Chase, I'll ask you to provide a link so that I can satisfy members mm-hmm. who want more. Um, and then I can put that in the show notes, but I just want to say, yeah. I'm really mostly interested in your experience mm-hmm. um, and, and I'm happy to, hear anything that you want to share because there are always going to be more questions so Um, maybe maybe what you're saying is you don't want me to keep it light and fluffy the whole time that is part of what was there (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, you know i want you to feel free to say whatever you want to say whatever your experience was i know that my experience was varied um and it wouldn't necessarily always cast light on the methodist experience although for me mostly uh, the only thing that took me out of my faith was nothing to do with the church. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of folks have a disenfranchising experience based on hypocrisy in churches. And so sometimes it is to do with the church, but for, for me, mine wasn't. So um, whatever your experience is, that's that I'm interested. Um, I think that my, my audience particularly is interested in just what does it, what does it take to continue to try to walk close 
Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that. And it definitely kind of opens some doors for me because I think kind of like you, I definitely had a, a, a disenfranchisement, as you call it. And, and so there was a, a lot of, of course, a lot of joy and belonging and warmth that I felt being a part of the church. Um, but there was a lot of heartache and there was a lot of loss for me as I, as I went in a different direction. Mm. Um, and definitely my feelings were hurt a handful of times. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely, I, I wouldn't mind sharing you know, a couple experiences with that as well. And just kind of how it ties into the, the culture of the church. Well, you talked about joys and hurts. Which one do you want to start with? Well, I guess uh, I, I think I'll start with the joys. Okay. That's usually how it is. When we're younger, the joys are easier to come by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I guess uh, you know, a big part of the church is it's very social. Very, very social. I was involved in youth group. I would go to youth conferences, often called EFY, which stands for Especially for Youth. And it was just these big church camps. You would go out for two, three days on a weekend and you would worship and you would do activities and you would meet people from all over the, the state, all over the country. Um, I was involved in the Boy Scouts. The church uh, for, for many, many years had a heavy influence on the Boy Scouts of America. Um, I believe at some point they funded over 400,000 Boy Scouts all across the country. Wow. And I was one of those. I ended up getting my Eagle Scout right the one day before my 18th birthday, which is the cutoff. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, scouting was a big part of the church. Um, and there's just such a community. There's so many activities. They do, they do um, you know, trunk or treat for Halloween. They go to the church parking lot and everybody does trick or treating out of the trunk of their cars. So all the kids dress up and walk around. Um, there's always a big Christmas buffet uh you know in the in the gym there's always a, a basketball gym in the churches church ball that's another thing i played basketball with the church and and the churches would verse each other in competition and we mm. called it church ball and so you go into the church and you'd play these basketball games against other wards and the ward is kind of the name of the the church that you belong to depending on the the geographical sort of boundaries so there was just always social functions. There were always things happening. And I really loved that. I loved that about the church, always I, being with people. I'm, I am sitting here feeling like you're telling my story. Yeah. Because I was, as a Methodist youth, I was involved heavily in the youth group. We'd have outings. We'd have um, campouts. We'd have trips across the country. We'd have um, overnights in the church, getting to sleep in the basements. Oh, yeah. Pretending we were in the catacombs in the early <laughs> oh, Christian so days. Cool. I mean, and right. then also, um, we, you know, we'd have apple cider pressing outings. We'd have, you know, basketball. You know, I, I was a part of church ball. Um, that's the most I've ever played basketball is in the gym at, at the church. And, and, and yet you said this thing that's very different um, about the term ward, which mm. in, in magical circles, that means protection. And I find that to be pretty fascinating since you said it was very social and you felt very comfortable and warm inside the word. That is interesting. Yeah. I, 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 I've never heard that meaning before. 
Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know why they call it wards. I'm not even sure where that comes from. I wonder if it does have some of those, some of those meanings in there. It could. <laughs> anyway, that was an aside. Let's get back to your moments, right? So you were yeah, scouting. Yeah. You were enjoying the social parts. Mm-hmm. You said yep. that we. You said that part of the experiences was that we'd worship, but perhaps me. I don't know. Maybe my audience members also. They don't know what that looks like. What does it look like for a Mormon to worship? Yeah, well, uh, one of the probably the most some may some may call the most important meeting is the sacrament meeting. And that's when you go into the chapel, all the families are there. And uh, there is a bishop, he's the residing bishop, someone who kind of leads that particular ward. And then you have the first and second counselor and they're, you know, two two people who kind of support the bishop uh, with different different church callings, different duties. Um, so you all show up and there's some kind of um, talk. Somebody does a sermon and oftentimes church members are called to give talks during the sacrament meeting. So there's, there's not, I, I wouldn't say there's one sermon giver who prepares a sermon every single, every single week. It's a little different in that the members are called to give speeches. Okay. It's very to, different. Yep. And so you would hear from a different person each week. And depending on who was talking, some people are very wonderful at, at giving their sermon and, and sharing a spiritual message. And, you know, maybe some you might fall asleep to. <laughs> <laughs> and as a kid, you probably fall asleep a lot in sacrament meeting. It's maybe one of the more boring meetings. <laughs> and that's when you actually partake of the sacrament. So they bless the bread and they bless the water. And they pass around these little trays and then you, you eat the little piece of bread in remembrance of the body of thy son. And then you drink the little cup of water in remembrance of the blood of thy son. Okay. And so, um, you know, I guess I should say that the, the Latter-day Saint faith is very much a Christian faith, Christian based. Uh, you know, J- Jesus is definitely the, you know, the cornerstone of the religion. The, the, kind of spiritual worship part for me was that I definitely had a, a deep connection to, to God and to Jesus. And so to read the teachings in the New Testament, uh, to learn about the different prophets of the church uh, who gave different revelations through their time, um, and to just kind of learn some of the, the messages of, of how they believe life should be lived. So you really resonated with the stories as well as the social part. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's, a, there's an old song called Book of Mormon Stories. Book of Mormon Stories that my teacher tells to me. <laughs> All about the Lamanites of ancient history, right? It's, it's this really fun song that you sing as a kid. And so there's all these Book of Mormon stories. The Book of Mormon is a, uh, you know, kind of a, a, an additional religious text that uh, the LDS faith kind of sees as a sort of a, you know, j- just as holy and true as the Bible. Um, so it's this, this whole other text that you read and study growing up. And so I would learn all about the stories of, of all of the characters that were in the Book of Mormon and the different ways in which they were challenged by God and followed God and were, were you know, were able to kind of overcome the adversary. <laughs> Job was one of my favorite books of the Bible, and I'm I'm being reminded of Job when you say mm-hmm. you know characters ch- were challenged and overcame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know why I, I glorified suffering. 
<laughs> it seems like. Right, right. Well, it's like you find somebody who overcomes these these difficult challenges and they those stories can become inspiring. Yeah. And if they're told to you in a specific fashion as a kid, they really will stick with you. They stuck with me. Yeah. You know, so... Yeah, I remember uh, as I got a little older in my teen years, I started preparing to go on a full-time mission, and that is a two-year period of time where you're called to serve, and you go out, you proselyte, and you knock doors, and you do service, uh, you know, service in the community. You help people with whatever, any, any, any place, anywhere you can, you can do service, you go out, and you, you teach the gospel, and, and then you might convert people to the church, and you would baptize them. And as a young man, you, you leave when you're 19. You come back when you're 21. I believe it's changed now. I think young men can leave when they're 18. Okay. So I was preparing for this mission, and really, I was pretty pious in the church. I was, I was devout. I was, you know, at, attending, my, attending my callings, attending church each week. I was reading my scriptures and praying each night. And this is, you know, something that the church leaders would, would tell you to do so that you can form a, a, te- a testimony of the church so that you can go out and you can teach these things with conviction. You can believe them. You can know them in your heart to be true. So I was reading my scriptures every night. I was praying and, you know, I just, I had a lot of really good spiritual experiences where I would read about Jesus and his time on the earth. And I was inspired. I, I, I remember one particular time where I was a- alone in my bedroom reading and I had my little highlighter and I was underlining these passages that stuck out to me. And I read this, um, just this really heartwarming passage about Christ in, I can't even remember specifically what it was, but I just remember it was him sharing his love with others, Mm. just this deep, unconditional love. And I remember reading this in my bedroom and I was just overcome, overcome with what, what I felt was the spirit. I, I, I really felt the spirit. I felt inspired. I was very touched by this and I just began to cry in my room, Mm. you know, flipping through these pages and reading about Christ. And it was, it was one, one experience that really stuck out to me as kind of a confirmation, a conviction for me that, wow, I, I really love Christ. If, if, if there is a purpose to life, it is to love. And this is where I have found it. Wow. So that was, that was a real special moment for me. I was probably 17, 18 when I, when I had that happen. And, and I had a few experiences like that. Well, you know, the word at the root of inspiration is spirit. So Mm. it sounds like you really were touched by the spirit in that moment, whatever Mm -hmm. that means to you, whatever that means to anyone, um, being filled with, uh, an energy, right. That's very uplifting and energizing pretty mobilizing Mm -hmm. but yet Mm -hmm. it sounds like you're painting the picture you were preparing for your mission it sounds almost a bit foreshadowing that you didn't end up going so i'm now fascinated what happened did you end up going did you not what happened what's the next chapter of course of course I, i i chose not to um i it was tough that was probably the toughest part of my religious experience because it was, it was maybe only a couple of years after that when I, when I decided to, to walk away from the church. Um, and I, I guess 
it's a long story and there's many different parts of this and I'll, I'll, I'll try to kind of centralize a couple main themes. Um, but what I really wanted was I wanted to know that what I was doing was the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something in the church called Moroni's promise where if you live by the law of the, of the church and you pray with an open heart and you ask, are these things true that the angel Moroni will confirm to you? That where you are is the right place. The direction you are going is the, is the right direction. And you'll be able to kind of move forward being an active member. And for me, serve a mission. Mm-hmm. And serving a mission for a young man is like, woo. That's like once you, once you can say you serve that full-time mission, you made it. You made it. That is a, a pretty big expectation in the church for young men. At least that's how I perceived it to be. Yeah, And so if you don't go on a mission, ooh, there's some shame involved there. Mm. People who don't go on their mission, you know, many, many, I had many friends who were, who were very much shamed by their family members when they didn't go. Parents would be deeply disappointed in their young men, their sons, if they didn't go on their mission. Or if they went out on their mission, right? And they would go to Brazil, Costa Rica, Russia, all over the, all over the world. And if they returned early without fulfilling a full, full two years, that was also a very shameful thing to come back because you were homesick or you couldn't, you just couldn't quite cut it. And you learned all this. This is sounds like the dark side of being such a social environment is that all the gossip is well known by everybody. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Especially when you live in a small town. Um, And, and I think one of the main criticisms of the church is that, people think that members are kind of judgmental. It's all about keeping up with the Joneses, who's following the, the law, you know, the, who's following the law to the T, the, the mm. best. Who, who, who's the, the most spiritual? <laughs> Who is more connected to God, right? It kind of becomes this competition. Who baptized more people on their mission? Now, I'm not trying to put, you know, slander here to the church's name. Um, but there's definitely uh, kind of a negative part of that social, cultural world with the church. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I definitely experienced some of that. But, but I was praying, I was going to church, and slowly but surely, I just had too many unanswered questions. Um, there was a lot of the doctrine that I disagreed with um, particularly with the plan of salvation, um, as well as the preexistence. And these are kind of terms that refer to what happens before you come to this earth and what happens after you die. Mm. And the church believes in a very specific plan of, of how, how God operates, what, what happens to your soul. Now, did you challenge these uh, internally or did you have conversations, dialogue with others? <laughs> Oh, many, many conversations. I would stay after church and, and, and talk to my priesthood leaders and my teachers and my elders, and I would ask them all these questions, right? If God is all-knowing, how can he want things for us? If God gives us blessings, how do we have free agency? I would find contradictions in the Bible, in the Book of Mormon, and, you know, I was probably a bit of a smartass. <laughs> and I was probably a difficult student because I was never satisfied. <laughs> and I was probably asking questions that were pretty much impossible to answer. 
Yeah, there's some there's some element of it. You just have to believe that when you walk down that path of critical analysis, the answers always are just you just have to believe you just have to have faith. And that that is often dissatisfying for so many people. And it sounds like it was true for you. Yep, definitely. Definitely. And I think um, the, the thing that really kind of made me step away from the church was that I, I never really received that deep confirmation that where I was was the right place. Yeah. I felt such a connection to Christ and to the teachings and a lot of the morality that is kind of bestowed upon us, you know, from such a young age. I, I still consider myself very Mormon in my heart. I still live mm. a very Mormon-like lifestyle. Uh, but there were just a lot of things that I that I didn't like, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Hmm. Uh, I wasn't particularly fond of the church's involvement in the LGBT uh, Prop 8 right. situation. The church was very heavily influenced with the Prop 8. And so there was a lot of, um, I don't know, I, I, I didn't love that uh, you know, gay people were not allowed to be married in the temple. Marriage is only supposed to be between a man and woman. That was something that I could never, I couldn't, I couldn't get over that. And that's still the, the, the policy. Yeah. yeah wow. Right. Yeah. So, um, so there's, you know, there's a lot of controversy with the church when it comes to the LGBT community and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, but, but that wasn't really the reason why to me, it was because I was praying every night and I felt that God was kind of telling me, ah, this isn't quite right. Or at least this isn't quite right for you. Mm. And the more I went to church and the more questions I asked and the more I prayed and the more scriptures I read, I just realized, you know what? I can't, I can't believe in a lot of these things. And if I can't believe in these things, how am I supposed to go on a two-year mission and teach them? That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I couldn't get myself to do it. So I made the decision to not go on a mission, and I still stayed active in the church for a couple years, and I even uh, dated a a young girl who was a member, and we would attend church together. Um, But eventually I kind of disconnected myself from the the religion and from the culture and... um, you know, kind of just started entertaining other spiritual options for myself. Such as? Well, I, I, I would say that I'm definitely fond of Buddhist teachings. Um, I would kind of, you know, I kind of consider myself a Buddhist Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In, in kind of a weird way. Um, but I think really more than anything, I also started entertaining the, entertaining the options that, maybe there is no God. I started questioning just the premise of God completely. And in a, in a lot of ways, I, I've identified as, as an agnostic. But, you know, people ask me, do you believe in God? And I, I say, eh, it depends on the day. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I know that sounds kind of maybe a little silly or a little confusing, but I guess it there also are some, sounds very relatable. Yeah, there's some days where I think, ah, I just can't get behind the, the white man in the clouds with the beard who created everything. And then other days I think, oh my gosh, there is just, there's so much more than me. Yeah. There's this other realm. There's this supernatural. There's, you know, I, I feel so imaginative 
and connected to this idea that once we die, there's more. You have just naturally walked us through the joys and the hurts and now gotten to my, you know, my other question is, well, what's it like for you now? I mean, this is how you got here. And how do you tap into the spirit? How do you, what, tell me about a recent moment when you felt that, felt the stirring. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. Well, I, I definitely would say there were a few years when I just didn't feel like I was spiritual. I wasn't religious. I wasn't spiritual. I never prayed. I, I just was kind of like bitter about mm. my experience leaving and, and kind of being criticized by friends, you know, telling my friends I wasn't going to go on a mission and I, I just didn't believe that the church was true. And they said, oh, did you do it right? You must not have read the entire Bible. Did you read the wow. whole Bible? Questions like that. You didn't do it the right way. And that's why God didn't give you the answer. Oh, and that kind of stuff just. My, my man, made me want to rage, you know? Yeah. And so for, for a few years, I was just kind of, eh, didn't want anything to do with it. Um, but, but I kind of came back around. And, well, one thing I know we've been wanting to talk about this is music. A, a big part of joy for me in the church was music, singing hymns, particularly uh, primary hymns. Well, I don't know how much you know about the Methodist Church, but the Wesley Brothers were fundamental in founding the Methodist Church, and they wrote some of the greatest hymns, Christian hymns of all time. So hymns and singing in church was such a big part of my mm -hmm. experience, mm -hmm. so much so that I already know um, a hymn that I want sung at my funeral. <laughs> like like oh, it's wow. that important, wow. right? Um, no, that's, that's really beautiful. Do you know, yeah. Yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling stirred right now. I'm feeling some spirit moving for me. Mm, um, mm -hmm. do you know, do you know that the hymn, just a closer walk with thee? Mm, that sounds very familiar. You may have shown that to me Oh my! during gosh. our time together. It, it was at my, <laughs> I mean, it was played at my grandfather's funeral and that confirmed it for me because I've been, I projected, you talk about male role models and spiritual role models. I've projected so much of my, um, admiration and inspiration on who I want to be in life onto my grandfather. So, mm, mm, mm -hmm. so yeah. So tell me some of your favorite hymns and especially the ones you love to sing out loud where you, before you knew, cause I know you as a singer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before, before you worried about, you know, singing it right. I want to, I want to hear from you. Like <laughs> what were the ones that you just sang out loud? You're like, you know how they have those videos where, there's one kid just super feeling it and singing it way too loud. And <laughs> I'm wondering if you've got stories like that or songs. Oh, like that. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I, I loved music at a young age. You know, my dad raised me on classic rock. So going to church, you know, sometimes it was like, I don't want to go to church. It's boring. Can't I just stay home and watch cartoons? <laughs> but when that song would come on, Oh, that was fun. It was fun. It would, you know, there would always be a piano player or an organ player and everybody would, everybody would sing. And so I'm trying to think of some songs that I really liked. Um, let's see. There's one, I think it's called on high to Kolob. Whoa. And it is uh, just a really beautiful song, very powerful, very deep kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of about the birthplace of God really. What? And yeah. Yeah. And it, uh, that song would always get to me and I would always sing that one really loud. Anytime that that song was chosen. Oh, I was excited for that one. Cause it was this deep, powerful kind of primal, <laughs> you know, beginning of time sort of song. 
Well, okay, before okay, I'm so excited right now. Before <laughs> we get into that song, yeah, yeah, you said birthplace of God, but I don't think of God as being born. But mm, how mm. you know earlier, like you'd said, you referenced God and Jesus as if they're not the same, mm-hmm. and I was raised in a in a kind of a Trinity model where it says they are the same. God, Father, Holy Spirit are all the same. Yes, but, that's right. But what 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 is your take on that? And then. And then come back to this song, and I hope we can provide a link in the show notes, um, unless you remember it. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to search that. But um, so, you know, to, to comment on the Trinity, I think one of the differences between the LDS faith and, you know, maybe mainstream Christianity, and, and of course, there's so many different sets of Christianity that it's right. hard to really distinguish this. But one of the differences is that the church believes that the Trinity is separate three separate beings okay god the father and the son or the, the holy ghost god jesus christ and the holy ghost three yeah. separate beings but they're they're one in purpose but they are different separate beings triune yep and so so um it, there's some doctrine kind of deep in the church about kolob which is i believe a planet or maybe a star and and I think the way they see Kolob is as the birthplace of God. Wow. Now, um, another kind, slightly controversial topic is that uh, many Mormons believe that humans can become gods themselves. I've never heard that. No way. Yep. So, so they believe that we can become just like the Father and that eventually we can have create our own worlds. What? Yeah, and so some people think that this is just, you know, Mormons are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs for believing this. I can um, also see how some would think that's the most inspiring thing ever. That's right. That's right. And it can kind of be powerful and beautiful. And wow, we can become like him. Yeah. And that through his word and through our works, we can return to him and become like him and be, be almighty and all-knowing. Well, now this helps me understand how people can compete for being the most pious because look at what the prize might be. <laughs> right? I suppose so. I, I yeah. mean, all of this. I mean, yeah. I'm, an, I'm an anthropologist first before I'm a therapist. So I'm thinking in terms of, you know, what kind of cultural decision making affects how the society shows up. So, right, right. And, I, you know, and it's like pieces. earlier when you were talking about, um, you know, their stance on the LGBT community, I was thinking, well, you know, they did pr- promote polygamy because they, as an anthropologist, I understand polygamy occurs where you need to produce a lot of offspring as an economic, as a survival function. So I understand polygamy when it shows up, mm-hmm. um, but I can understand how that also does constrain if, if your decision making, cultural decisions are made based on uh, reproduction then people who don't reproduce by mating would not be welcome because reproduction is important, right? Sure. Sorry to nerd out, but... No, that's, that's okay. Th- that just seems so relevant, the cultural piece of why they're stuck in this kind of way of thinking that probably isn't needed anymore economically or ecologically, but I can see where it came from. Sure. Many, many Mormons were persecuted, prosecuted and persecuted such that they had to flee the colonies to survive. Um, and they, right. they, they, they found their home in Mexico or in, yeah, in Mexico, which was now Utah, but it was Mexico then. So anyway. Yeah. And, and I guess um, it's, you know, well, it's nice to kind of hear some of those, some of those kind of uh, 
anthropology points because they really do the, the, the culture and the, the, what is happening currently or, you know, in history definitely has an impact on the, the lifestyle and how, and, and how, you know, the, the church has looked at and polygamy, you know, specifically is definitely a, a controversial topic with, with members and with non-members alike. Um, and, you know, mainstream Mormonism is very much monogamous um, and kind of split off from polygamy, I believe, in the, geez, I want to say mid-1800s or maybe. Yeah. Well, anyway. I got, way, I got you way off the song. That's all right. That's all right. Um, yeah. So I, there was a few primary songs that I sang as a kid. And whenever I hear those songs, if ever I sing those songs, oh, it, it, it gets me in touch. It gets me in touch with that that deep emotional piece, that spiritual piece. Chase, I want to um, I want to be bold and hope that you would be willing to try and remember and sing one of those songs. Uh, I I thought you might do this. <laughs> Did you even bring your guitar to accompany you? You know what? I've always got my guitar here with me. I'm, I'm I know here that in my about house, you. So, so yeah, maybe it's I um, not as bold. Maybe it's bold on your part to share. No, that no, you know what? That's spot. no problem. I would be happy to. I actually, there's one primary song that I learned a long time ago, and I never forgot it. And even every once in a while, when I play gigs, you know, I work as a musician on the weekends, and and you know, play at restaurants and weddings and things like that. And every once in a while, I'll slip in kind of a spiritual tune. And and this is one that I that I'll play, especially if I'm playing in a, in a community where I know there are members of the of the LDS faith. Because they hear this song and they remember when they were 9, 10, 11 years old and they were singing it. <laughs> and, and I think this is probably one of the favorites. Um, and this is definitely one that kind of gets me just kind of in touch with that spiritual place. Um, I would and, love to hear it and then, and then really get to talk about what that feels like. Yeah, yeah, sure. Let me, yeah. um, let me grab my guitar here. Let me make sure you can <clears throat> make sure you can hear this okay. How's that yeah, coming across? That sounds great. Resonant. Okay. Okay, so yeah, this is uh this is a song called Love is Spoken Here. Oh. And um a neat part about this song is the first part is sung by the girls. The second verse is sung by the boys, and then the third verse they come together and they sing their parts at the same time. Now, of course, I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna sing the girls' part and then I'll sing the boys' part and I'll end it there. Um, but it's really neat because everybody comes together and it's this very pretty kind of two part melody going on at the same time. And I see my mother kneeling with our family each day. And I hear the words she whispers as she bows her head to pray her plea to the Father quiets all my fears and I am thankful love is spoken here Is that coming through all right? Yeah, I'm feeling it. Now, this is the boys' part coming up right here. Mine is a home where every hour is blessed by the strength 
of priesthood power with father and mother leading the way teaching me how to trust and obey and the things they teach are crystal clear for love is spoken here I can often feel the Savior near when love is spoken here mm I'm sure that's not the kind of response you'd get in the ward, but I, I feel something. What are you feeling? Well, you know, to be honest with you, I feel really nice. I feel, I feel comfort. I feel relief. Um, I, anytime I sing songs like that, it just brings peace to my soul. Mm. In fact, I was just, uh, I was just talking to a, a girl that I'm dating right now and I was telling her about, we both grew up in the church and, she, uh, I was kind of sharing some experiences with her, and I told her, whenever I'm feeling really anxious, I'm worried, I've got these fears, maybe I'm feeling angry, angsty, whatever. I, if I just pull out my guitar and I play an old church hymn, even that song right there, I've used that song many times to, to kind of give myself some peace. I just, I had this overwhelming feeling of comfort, mm. of relaxation. It just brings me back to my center I feel grounded. I feel complete. I really hear the Buddhist Mormon in you when you say <laughs> that. I feel grounded and complete. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> My suffering has at least temporarily been relieved. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, it just feels nice to, to play those songs. And, and uh, you know, it's definitely a, a part of my spirituality today that I'm very much connected with. And I, I still love. So thanks for letting me sing that to all oh your listeners. Gosh. That's kind of neat. Well, you know, this is a decent place for me to just say that you have been recording little snippets uh, of your guitar playing music so that, so that I can use those as oh, the intro, yes. intro, outro, and interludes for my That's podcast. Right. And, yes. and, and I want to let my listeners know that you've been enjoying the, the new sounds i've used the same outro intro interludes since the beginning since they were just free on the anchor app but this episode kind of inaugurates the new sound so all those delicious licks on the acoustic guitar were provided by chase boyle or actually uh your name is chase snow boyle but as a musician you go by the chase snow your middle yep, name that's right that's right yep. so I'll put both, I'll put links to, to your Instagram, um, in the show notes, but, uh, yeah. I appreciate um, that. Yeah. Thank you for, for using my music and your podcast. That is so oh my cool. Gosh. I never thought I'd have anything like that happen and <laughs> to be like, to hear my stuff on there. Oh, that's, that's fun. That's exciting. So let's see, nice. where should nice. we go from here? I, I wanted to hear, what do you do now to feel like you're still living a spiritual life? You said you live a very Mormon life. 
to me, that means you just, you know, you don't drink, don't smoke. What do you do? You don't drink, don't smoke. <laughs> right, what right. What do you do? You know, like the Adam Ant song. Yeah, um, yeah. I, so I have a very rudimentary understanding of what that's like. But uh, how do you walk in faith? Well, you know, I'm glad you brought up. There's something called the word of wisdom that many members follow. And this is kind of the, the don't drink, don't smoke, uh, no coffee. Certain teas are on or off limits. Um, no tobacco. So, you know, the church is all about having a healthy lifestyle, um, yeah. you know, exercising, eating healthy. Um, and so I think that is definitely one way that I've kind of maintained my faith is that I definitely care about my health, uh, my physical health, as well as my mental health. Um, as you know, I, you know, I work as a, as a marriage and family therapist. You and I went through the counseling program together at Cal State Fullerton. Um, so mental health is definitely a big part of my life. Um, I pretty much go see a therapist every week or at least every other week. And I'm always taking care of my body. I always try to eat healthy. I'm exercising daily. Um, and it kind of brings me to another part of my spirituality, which is just how a big part of the church is, uh, you know, sh- uh, showing, sh- sharing your gratitude. Um, mm. A big part of prayer a nor- a nor- I would say almost every prayer, there's a little piece that's devoted to what you're grateful for. Uh, you'll hear many uh, LDS prayers say, we're very grateful for our, our many blessings. Yeah. Um, count your many blessings. There's a song that, that goes, count your many blessings, name them one by one, right? So it's all about being aware of all the wonderful things that we have in life. And so I think gratitude is a big part of my spirituality. I'm always trying to stay grateful. If I can change my complaints into gratitudes, it helps me stay happy in life. Um, And I'm very grateful for my body. I have a a working body. My emotions let me know that I'm alive. My, My aches and pains let me know that I need to take better care of myself. (laughs) and I don't know how long I'm going to be on this earth. And I have this body, this, this vessel, this tool that I can use to connect with my, you know, fellow humankind. Um, And so a big part of my spirituality is just staying grateful and sharing that gratitude with people Um, as well as in my journal or in my prayers. Um, I also really enjoy meditation I would definitely consider myself a mindful oriented person. I really connect with mindfulness. Um, And so anytime I can just kind of feel like we were talking about before, feel grounded, feel centered, feel like I'm at peace. um, That's kind of where I feel my spirituality kick in. And I think I get a lot of that from just connecting with, friends and family and strangers, serving others. I consider service a big part of my life, which is also a big part of the Mormon church. Um, Anytime I get a chance to just help somebody out, even if it's something small, um, I tend to feel just good about life. So if I can do something to help somebody, I feel really good about myself. So gratitude, service, staying healthy, um, meditation, prayer, and just you know, being connected with, with people. I think I get a lot of joy and satisfaction from, you know, having deep connections with people like you having a conversation yeah. like this, this is going to make my day today. You know, like 
I just feel like this is going to energize me. And I feel like I'm just close with, with the spirit, close with the earth. Um, and of course, nature, I got to be outside. I'm always camping, backpacking, finding the nearest mountain lake that I can go, go jump in. You know, you started off talking about all the things that really mattered to you as a kid, which is the, you know, which is the morals, the principles, the social and the, you know, events, right? Getting out and doing things. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems like mm-hmm. that's what you're still doing. So you're still honoring it. Um, that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Great connection. I, yep. I think that's very true. I'm wondering if you've got a little bit more time to, to go in another direction. I've got time, whatever, um, whatever you want to know. I'm, uh, I'm pretty much an open book here. Okay. Well, there were two things that might be interesting to, to, to explore. I'm wondering about your family and I'm wondering about their, like their involvement in the church. And then the other thing, um, is that I know that the Mormon church is very, um, insistent on saving sex until marriage and mm-hmm. I, so the whole attitude towards sexuality, I thought would be an interesting thing to explore if you're willing, either, sure. or both. either or both. Yeah, I, I, I can share, I can share a bit about both. Um, I'll start with the family piece. And when I was growing up, my family was involved in the church. Um, and very slowly over time, most of my immediate family also kind of stepped away. Um, I, I only have one sister. Um, that I, that I knew when I grew up with, I now have a half sister. Um, but I only had one sister growing up and, uh, she stepped away from the church and and now she's a bit more involved in kind of a, a different Christian faith, but we, but we did go to church together growing up. And, and there came a time probably in my teen years when, uh, both my parents became pretty heavily involved in, in drug, drug use. Um, and so they were no longer attending church uh, or attending life really they were Abiding very the book of they, wisdom yeah they they were very checked out in many different ways and so i was going to church on my own and i remember being pretty embarrassed about it feeling like people said oh where where's your mom today you know and yeah small like, town uh, very social like uh sorry sorry sister christensen but my mom's hung over right now you know like i i didn't know how to approach that i was so embarrassed by it and i would mm. go to church and i would sit there alone and families would say oh come sit by us and that made me feel even worse yeah <laughs> like they're pointing out that i'm alone and of course it was very kind of them to you know allow me to sit next to them in in church but but you were um, burdened i was burdened i was burdened it was tough because i was trying to stay a, a good member of the church and the church was teaching that we, we don't do drugs. And I would come home and I would see my family in chaos and they were all using drugs. And, and that, was, that was rough. You know, that oh, was definitely, definitely a tough time. Um, and my dad kind of over time is, you know, he's a pretty pronounced atheist at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom, I think she's still a believer, but she's not active in the church. You know, but it's just, uh, it's, it, it's hard because you would see, fam- I, I would see families that were all together. They'd all t- attend church together and they, you know, they kind of just looked like this perfect little Mormon family. Yeah. And I would come to church and I would have vans on and, you know, baggy jeans. And, you know, my family, they were fighting at home. <laughs> I was, you know, trying to, trying to be a good pupil of, of the Lord. Um, so it was tricky. It was yeah. tricky, and, and it was definitely a heartbreaking piece for me 
because I wanted my family to be together. Um, and, and there was even one very popular song in the church um, that goes, families can be together forever in heavenly father's plan. And so I would always sing that song and I would be alone at church and my family would not be there with me. And, oh, it was just like, I feel like my face was probably red the entire time I was singing that song. Um, so that was a tough, that was a tough part for me because that was a, a point of contention for me with the church because I would sing that song, but in my mind, I'd be going, this is bullshit. This oh. is, this is bullshit. Families can't be together. Look at mine. Mm. Right. So some of my, some of my, you know, teen angst would come out in those, at those times. You, yeah. You, your family, your experience wasn't represented. Right. Right. And, 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 and then, you know, uh, over time, I realized that no family is perfect. And to me, I, I perceived these other families, they had everything together. And maybe it was kind of a fantasy I had as a child. But then you really get to know people and you get to know that everybody has problems and they may have just concealed theirs a little better than mine. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and, that, always... and that's okay. Yeah, we always grass is greener, kind of looking. Mm-hmm, do you mm-hmm. do you fantasize about having a perfect family, having a church going, you mm. know, upstanding, pious family? How does that? How does that? Translate? You know, I think um, I think I definitely have a dream and a fantasy of just having a very happy family, a very peaceful family. Yeah, not necessarily church going. Um, I don't attend any church services now. I'm I'm not. Um, closed off to it. Um, I, I could see myself maybe going to a Christian church. I definitely still connect with Christ in that way. And that would probably be where I would feel most at home. Mm. Um, so I'm definitely open to that. Um, but yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I'm, I'm unmarried. I don't have any children. And so I, I always have this hope and this dream that I'll be able to create something that, something that is wholesome. Well, you strike me as wholesome, so it doesn't seem out of reach. It doesn't seem like a fantasy or a dream. It seems like an inevitability. But then again, I'm kind of a fan of Mr. <laughs> Chase Boyle, so I, well, I appreciate that. See I that appreciate I see that. that for you. I really do. Yeah, yeah. So you asked another question about sexuality. Well, I wanted I wanted to give you choice in sharing what you're willing to. Um, Perhaps what was stimulating my question was a conversation we had previously had, Hmm. and maybe that just impacted me. I remember once you shared with me about an interview, kind of a scrutiny, kind of a thing where elders would sit you down and kind of interrogate you about your budding sexuality. Mm, mm. Do you remember what I'm talking about? You Um, know what? I, I, I don't recall this particular conversation, but I... I'm sure I can come up with some things so, that are so relating. That was the only thing that kind of impressed upon me that it was complicated. Sexuality was complicated for you um, in the church. And I, I, I think that it's complicated for most, um, most people already. And then I know that a lot of religious belonging um, complicates things for folks because mm-hmm. sexuality is something in America for sure that has been influenced by puritanical influence. Yes. Yes, as right. well as so many other f- suppressing of sexuality. And, and I find a healthy sexuality to be very uh, important. And in my studies of uh, other faiths, I find that not only is it important, but it's 
it's lift up lifted up as spiritual and sacred and mm, mm-hmm. that is not my experience my experience was very avoidant so not so i didn't have the oppressive thou shalt not kind of luxury that's right influence that's right but i had a i had a very avoidant thing like literally if you just paid attention to the conversations and the content of my upbringing there was no such thing as sex <laughs> so mm-hmm. I felt very left on my own to figure it out and what does it mean and and I'm curious like how did you learn about it what did your uh what did your faith influence your sexuality Yeah yeah that's a some really great questions um when you are unmarried uh premarital sex is definitely looked at as a sin and it's something that you have to repent for if you have any kind of sexual transgressions and in order to repent, you also have to confess. And so if you want to have, for instance, the temple recommend, um, in order to go to the temple, you have to be a worthy member of the church. And in order to be worthy, you have to confess and repent and uh, you know, continue living the law. So uh, you would go in and you would have an interview with one of the church leaders and they would ask you about your life and how you're doing and how you're following the laws of the church. And part of those interviews, there's a, there, at least when I was going to church, um, there were questions about your sexual behaviors. And so they would ask you, are you, are you, uh, you know, maintaining the, the law of chastity? And then if you weren't, you would have to say no. And they would say, okay, what, you know, what have you been doing? And then you would kind of have to share what, sexual activities you may have been involved in you yep so so um you know masturbation was a, a a big thing that you had to stay away from even that uh, yep yep masturbation was definitely looked at as a sin not okay and um you were always trying i was always trying to not masturbate and you know as a 15 year old boy with hormones pumping through my veins that was a, one of those kind of unavoidable things. Although I did have some LDS male friends who never masturbated until they were married wow. in, their, in their early 20s. Or maybe they did once, twice, three times, and that was it. But confessed it. Yep, they yeah. confessed it. And so even in high school, I, my guy friends and I had this kind of ongoing game where we would try to see who could refrain from masturbation the longest. And we would go weeks and weeks and then we would call each other if we were in the red zone when we were feeling real turned on. And so that was always a big part of the culture. And so, and, and you know, another thing was, yeah, it was very much shamed. If, if you found out that Sarah, your, 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 your good friend, Sarah had sex. Whoa, that was big gossip. Did you hear, did you hear that Sarah had sex? Oh my gosh. Whoa. It was like, Ooh, it was this like big kind of naughty thing that Sarah did. Like naughty, just, you know, naughty or naughty, like, oh, you're doomed. You're going to hell. You're not getting into the temple. You can't get married. You're not. Like, how, how, you know, big, I, how big was the naughty? I remember girls, specifically girls. And I think, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a double standard here. Sounds um, like it. You know, and I suppose there probably is in most of the country, out, even outside of the LDS faith. But, but I remember girls who you would hear rumors about them having sex would be looked at as bad girls. She's yeah. a bad girl. You would eat that. That was a common phrase. Uh, she's a bad girl. I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't get near her because she's a bad girl. Right. So there was a lot of that shame, a lot of that like. And another thing, if you talk to your bishop about your sexual behaviors, if it was involved with another person, depending on the bishop, they would want to track down that other person. If they were a member of the church, 
They would say, who are they? What ward do they belong to? And then they would go talk to them and their family. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, people, people's sexual lives were kind of, you know, they're kind of out and about. You get to see what people are up to because information travels fast through the grapevine. So um, this was another part of my distaste for the LDS culture and the LDS faith was because I, I remember having a church lesson once and I had a, a priesthood leader teach us that premarital sex was a sin that was located one degree below murder. That it was wow. one of the greatest sins that we could commit, premarital sex, right below murder. And I just remember just being baffled by this and kind of just feeling like, eh, I don't like that. And I don't know if I agree with that, <laughs> you know? And, and I remember thinking like, yes, sex is and should be respected. What a powerful thing it is to create life. Yeah. Um, and it's very risky if you are not practicing safe sex. And, you know, there's sure there's some sexual dangers out in the world that we need to be cognizant of. Um, but to me, I always thought sex is this wonderful thing. Again, I told you a little bit how grateful I am for my body. I am grateful for my sexuality. The fact that I get to experience such great pleasure in sex is a wonderful, beautiful part of living on this earth with this physical body. Amen. So I always thought of sex as this beautiful thing and that something that can be shared between two people that can bring people together. And of course, that should be practiced responsibly and safely. Um, and I didn't like this lesson about seeing sex as premarital sex as this sin. And then when you're married, it's this wonderful blessing that you can share with your spouse. And so a lot of LDS members have a lot of sexual problems because what happens is they're taught their whole lives that kind of, at least in the culture, that sex is bad and it's taboo. And then, married, yeah. and then you're married and you're supposed to flip the switch and become this wonderful, sexually generous person to your partner because you've both been waiting your whole lives to have sex and you finally lose your virginity to your partner. Um, but it feels wrong and it feels like you're doing something bad. Mm. Oh, and to get over that guilt. And so there's definitely some sexual dysfunction there. Um, and you know, it was just one of those things that kind of turned me off. Yeah. This was one of the things that you challenged or was this one of the things that was too unsafe to bring up and challenge with the, Oh, that's a great question. I don't know if I challenged this particular piece. I think it was just probably a bit too taboo and uncomfortable for me. Yeah. I don't remember having big conversations about this. Well, you know, I, I asked and I'm glad you answered because I think that this transcends particular type of faith. I think a lot of people have complicated uh, relationships with their sexuality um, due to shame and shaming and, you know, hyper privacy or mm. hyper exposure. Mm -hmm. I mean, all kinds of different things can complicate that. So I appreciate you answering that and sharing with us. Yeah. And thanks for, you know, kind of giving me some space to express my, you know, even talking about these things, I, Ooh, man, the emotions, they come up for me. You know, this is a deeply personal topic for me and for many people. Um, yeah. And our spirituality is so personal to us. It's so deep. It's so sacred. Yeah. Um, and even now in my life, I, I have many friends and family members that are active in the church. And you know what? I love them. I respect them. 
I, I want to stay good, you know, with them in our relationships. And I, I respect the religion. I respect, I, I, you know, there, there are things that I disagree with, but I think that one part that is so, that makes life beautiful is how we can accept each other for our differences. And even though I may disagree with what they believe or parts of their lifestyle, um, I want to accept them just in the same way that I want to be accepted by them. Yeah. For my differences. Well, um, I think that the Mormon church does a good job of raising pretty well-rounded, confident individuals. I've met some Mormons through, you know, friends or in, you know, as students, uh, shout out to John Dupree and David Brooklyn cook. Uh, mm. you know, I I've met some pretty remarkable human beings, like literally stellar human mm -hmm. beings. Mm -hmm. And when I find out that they were raised in the Mormon church, I'm just left with, wow, the something's going right. right. These, That's these, right. Are, these are extraordinary. And then you are an extraordinary human being, like really one of the good ones in the world, mm -hmm. you know, and there's something right about the way that's going. And yet I'm also hearing it's complicated. Yeah. I mean, the church was my family. Yeah. You know, when my family wasn't, I really hear that, you know, I had neighbors, scout masters, priesthood leaders that I, I saw as mother and father figures. Yeah. And even my friends now and family members now that are involved in the church, I can rely on them. I trust them. I know that if I was, in a rough place, they would be there for me. You know, I really owe the church a lot. And, you know, it's very much a, a, a part of who I am. And, and, um, and yeah, yeah. And, and it's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so, and that's just kind of how it goes. Um, thank you for giving me a chance to share all this stuff. It's, I don't have a lot of people asking me about my experience very often. So it's, it, it's kind of a strange feeling for me to kind of dive back into those places and open things up like this. Yeah. And I imagine that our listeners getting to have you and I talking intimately in their ear, it also stirring for them. So I'm wondering if you just now spontaneously, if I put you on the spot, um, do you have a message that you'd like to say directly to our listener? Well, I guess my message is thank you. I'm grateful for you for listening to me and hearing me and, and, and coming and supporting Chip's podcast. Um, I, I guess my message is just gratitude. I feel happiest when I'm grateful and I'm grateful for you for just listening. And um, I hope that you have gotten something out of this, out of this conversation. And I hope that it touched or inspired or challenged you in some way. I thought your message was so consistent, you know, that you started and ended with gratitude. Um, and that really is your only message that and love, love is spoken here. Um, mm -hmm. Such a powerful testimony. Is it fair to say it that way to call it that? Yes, absolutely. So thank you for your heart. Thank you for sharing openly, honestly about it all. Um, and uh, I hope you have, a, I hope you have that great rest of your day. Well, thank you, Chip. I appreciate you, my friend, my brother. I love you. Thank you for having me on this podcast. It, it's an honor to be here, and, and uh, I hope you have a good rest of your day as well. Thank you. Okay, that's our episode with Chase Boyle. Hope you enjoyed it. Mm -hmm.